You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Caitlin, Patrick, Towner, Mark. Good morning. We're back. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. We will get to the politics, but there's only one place to start today, which is with that ugly sweatshirt you have on, Mark. I can't tell. Is that green? It is Eagles green, one of the many shades of Eagles green. I wish we were on on video. I think it's actually kind of an an attractive look. Not blue and and maize or whatever that made up color is. that's, That's Michigan. The Giants are playing you, not the Wolverines. Same result. That should work out. (laughs) That's entirely possible, but I have a little thing going on here. I won a stake from Jim Davis, who had the foolishness to bet me that the commanders would wind up in the top half of the NFC East, which they did not. Bad bet. I lost Zingerman's Deli to Madison Smith who was smart enough to bet me that Michigan would not be TCU. And I won some Katz's Deli from John Reich, who I had a little bet with on the Giants-Vikings game. So, Mike, I'm kind of arbitraging meat at this point, Mark. Caitlin, Caitlin, I think we are very well positioned office-wise to take advantage of all of these meals. That's what I'm I'm thinking. Are you going to share the luck? What's the bet this week? Is it like bagels and cheesesteaks? Well, yeah. What's the bet, Mark? You'll be here for dinner on the 30th, if I'm not mistaken. We we can do a cheesesteak dinner if... uh, if you're in the mood, I, I think oh, as usual, Mark is betting with other people's money. Of course, Pennsylvania. Now that I think about it, let's bet Howard Caitlin's dinner that she owes me on the Fetterman race. <laughs> Double or nothing here. We'll bet with Caitlin's money this time. It's important you point that out, though, Howard. I lost a inner Cozen bet last night. Indiana beat Illinois in basketball, and I owe Darren, and I quote, a debit card cocktail, which we call it. What's a debit card cocktail? A debit card cocktail is no corporate Amex, no, ah. no <laughs> firm money. That is a, I want to see your, your dollars, your card with your name from your bank go down to pay for it. So that's, well, that's good for Darren. Yeah. Good. You, you know we're sticking the bill to Michael on all this at the end yeah. of the day, so. and I hope he's listening. Um, all right, so let's get into the topics that we actually know something about. And by the way, Mark, I do think the Eagles will win, but Giants will give you a tougher game than you're expecting. Tougher game than they did in week 14. Agreed. The Giants are... I think at the beginning of the season, we thought they were pretenders and they turned out to be real. We thought George Santos was real and he turns out to be a pretender. (laughs) This guy has has fooled everybody and apparently is like one, we've talked about it a little bit before, one giant fraud. 
And he got elected to Congress. And it's like one of the biggest stories in American politics right now. And we could spend a lot of time talking about how it happened. Like, and, and I do think there are, there are obvious issues there on both sides of the aisle. But I also just think it says something about man, uh, the ability to manipulate democracy and our system of elections. And there's just something sinister beyond the fact that he's a sociopath. There's something sinister about the whole thing that feels to me like a continuation of the Russian ma attempt to manipulate our elections from several years ago. And uh, there's more to come out, but I, I just thought we'd throw it out for general discussion, Mark, because I think it's I think it's yeah. interesting. It, well, it's darn interesting. That is, that is for sure. I I'm not sure he's not the first fraud in American political history. He is not going to be the last. I think it may be more about uh, technology, frankly, and, and social media and the ease with which he invented fake identity. That, that is different maybe than in the beginning of the Republic when your frauds were presented in a newspaper or a pamphlet. But but I'm I'm not sure that it says that much uh, more than we already knew about the gullibility uh, and and vulnerability of of the system. What counter? What's interesting to me, if if I may, is is what happens now. <laughs> yeah, where is the remedy in the American? Republic for a flat out fraud conning the people of a congressional district into sending him to Washington. Sure. I mean, well, there's a couple of different. First of all, I'm I, as this plays out, I am getting more and more actually impressed. I was upset at first and now I'm just getting amused and impressed by the whole thing, because in today's day and age, you, you can't do this anymore. Like the Internet Everybody knows everybody, everything about everybody, social media, you name it. Like you just you can't physically do this anymore. This is something that like we watch movies that were set, you know, 100 years ago and you could reinvent yourself in a heartbeat, and move to a different city. And you're all of a sudden a totally different person with a new forged paper document. Yeah, and electronic Don, Don Draper comes to mind, right? Yeah. Like, that, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's the Great Gatsby. Yeah. This was the American yeah. story. You were supposed to be able to do this in America. Yeah, it's yeah. but it's it's absolutely impressive uh, to a certain extent that he was able to get away with this for so long. What can you do about it? To your question, Mark, um, there's there's a decent amount you can do about it. I think first of all, the question is will versus versus ability, and there's very little will right now in the Republican Party to do anything about it. I, I compare this to. Proxy voting last year because of COVID, when COVID wasn't an issue and all the members were were still coming to town. You know, you you do what you need to do with a small majority, and in this particular case, it does not in any way behoove Kevin McCarthy to move advent uh, immediately to remove him from Congress. Uh, the Republicans can do a couple different things. They can deny him committees, which they chose not to do uh, earlier this week. They chose to put him on committees. Uh, now it happens to be Science Committee and Small Business Committee, which I think we'd all agree are the two least popular, least effective committees 
in the entire House of Representatives, but he's still on a couple of committees. The entire House can remove him with a two-thirds vote. They can they can decide to, to get rid of him, but obviously it requires a, a significant chunk of, of the majority to do that. Uh, he will lose his committees under conference rules, under the Republican conference rules, uh, if and uh, maybe when he's indicted by somebody at some point. Uh, but that being said, it still takes a two-thirds vote to remove that individual from Congress uh, if they don't want to go. And so that's that's sort of where we are right now. Republicans don't feel like they need to move quickly to do it. And um, and they need the vote, quite frankly, right now as well. Well, not all Republicans, Tanner. I mean, more Republican leadership. We have seen, you know, two of the Republican new freshman House members from New York to others come out and, and call for him to, you know, step down or be removed. But I think to Towner's point, yes, if Republicans had a 30 seat majority in the House, this guy would be gone. But the reality and the political reality is we don't. And there's a big concern that a special election will, um, you know, throw this seat back to Dems and then our majority gets even tighter. And that could yeah, be a I, problem for I, everyone. I know, but isn't that part of the problem like it is republicans should have won 30 seats howard that's the problem no i'm just kidding well you there there is precedent for like a party grappling with the whole like do we seat them or do we not i was actually thinking about this yesterday completely different circumstances but Connor, we were both on the Hill. You remember when Roland Burris was seated in the U.S. Senate? You know, you had Governor Blakovich kind of throwing this Hail Mary out there when everyone knew he was going down. He tried to sell, sell the Obama Senate seat. And he made this wild card appointment at the last second. And Democratic leadership didn't want to seat him. They didn't want someone who, you know, from this governor who was going to jail. But then they were kind of like, ah, you know, it's probably better to have a Democratic senator than not. He's going to be the only African-American in the body. We can't like piss off the African-American community. And they just kind of like, oh, whatever, we'll do it. Yeah. And well, that's kind of what Pierce... it reminds me of a little bit, not the whole talented Mr. Santos part, but like the congressional leadership being like, you know what, this will probably sort itself out. I imagine if you're the McCarthy team, they're like, this guy's going to lose in a primary and he's probably going to end up going to jail at some point. But for the next year, <laughs> Let's just yeah. use his vote. Well, the, the lose in the primary point is actually very timely. As as we all know, every freshman uh, member of the House has already begun his or her reelect. They announced for reelect the day after getting elected. That that doesn't seem to be a very promising path for Congressman Santos. So isn't that how this ends with with him never running again as a Republican anyway? Yeah, he's not going to be able to raise any money, although I would want to go to a fundraiser just because I have a lot of questions. (laughs) (laughs) Patrick really wants wants to meet this guy. Patrick, the only thing I'll say, the the big difference there is this wasn't an appointment. The voters did actually. Obviously, they didn't know everything, but the voters in his district did vote for this man. And again, I think until there's an indictment or he goes to jail, I mean, well, what can you do? That makes actually, it worse, by the they way. They actually <laughs> did not vote for this man. They voted for <laughs> another man. That's, yeah, your point makes it worse. Caitlin, if you were a Democrat, if you were a Democrat, would you be calling for his resignation? I mean, yeah, and I'm still calling for his resignation. <laughs> I think the guy's got to go, but I'm just being realistic about the reality. And by no means am I defending 
you yeah. know, this man or no, this I know, I know. I'm just I know. kind of thinking through the political calculus of some of Republican leadership. Two, yeah. two things. Two things. I am absolutely not calling for his resignation. I want to be very clear about that. That's number one. And number two, this is why be- you because, have to have- Downer, because, because you are not because calling. We don't, we don't indict somebody until the, the judicial system does. This isn't reality TV. Let we have we have a million there's a million attorneys of of New York that are looking into this right now. There is every piece of the DOJ is looking to see what they can bust them on right now. That's so a fair point. Let's let yeah. innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. This is still yeah, America. But what about the this is another people are just so unembarrassable now, which is like a whole different problem. But you know, I mean he's obviously very dug in but even if there let's just say and i have a feeling there will be but let's just say there's no illegality i mean again there's all this false equivalency on the internet about like i saw a tweet about like dick blumenthal embellishing his vietnam record which yes he did and that was and mark kirk did the same thing and like that's not what this is like that it just isn't and (laughs) no one's been able to find me another example of like Jay Gatsby going to Congress. This is just, it's, no. it's well, and I'm, not, I'm not seeing a lot of people like defending. I mean, I, I haven't spent a lot of time on Twitter. It's one of my New Year's resolutions is to avoid the negativity other than Jake Sherman's Twitter, which is necessary for all of us. Totally. That's most, um, but, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of defense for this guy. What I think it was just complete political malpractice on both sides is the fact that the DCCC which has a massive opposition research arm and the NRCC, which vets and recruits candidates and recruited this guy, the massive malpractice of not doing our homework. There, some of these stories were out there more so in the local news. And this gets back to the importance of local news. There were questions, but how, how did we recruit this guy? How did the DCCC not pick up some of these things? I mean, it's just complete malpractice. I, I guess... I hear all of you. It's just, to me, it's it, it's it raises institutional concerns. It's a credibility credibility yeah. of of government. You know, it's it's already there's already a, an enormous lack of trust in government, and you know that's the perspective from which I care about it. Like he's obviously yeah. not, he's obviously a, like I said a sociopath. Like this is pathological. It's not embellishing some aspect of your background it's pathological but it, i think it undermines it further undermines the credibility of washington just like we talked last week about biden's classified documents it's like everybody just throws their hands up and says you can't trust any of these people and this is this is the same this just adds to the narrative and it's upsetting in terms of the credibility of government agreed that's why I think the remedy is the difficult and, and interesting part. Plainly, it it's not a great commentary on American democracy if he serves out his term and loses in a primary. If that's and that may well be how this plays out. But at the same time, as Towner very appropriately says, we can't in, indict him. Uh, on social media alone, we need actual process. And I suppose the House Ethics Committee, Towner, is is where in our system that, 
that have yeah. been filed. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's a very good. The innocent until proven guilty point is a very good point counter and point taken for sure. It's just. Well, I, I think the question is get the question is, did he do anything illegal? And 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 that's the, the primary question. Politicians, <laughs> and I agree with you, Patrick, there's no exact moral equivalency here, but politicians lie to get elected every single day, even if it's a small lie that I'm going to support this and they absolutely don't support that. Or, you know, I, you know, we had a lot of people who we have a lot of people on both sides of the aisle who make promises. All day that, long. During this, a is different. this is that, different. I'm sorry. Totally different. Totally totally different. different. Yeah. But there is no resume resume requirement. There <laughs> is no honesty requirement in politics. This is different. But you know and, how you know it's well, sort of is because there, there is. And there's, and there's no trust in government because no. we keep electing, because we keep going down the food chain. And this has just taken us even further down the food yeah. chain. We can wait until he's proven guilty in a court of law. Yeah. Um, but that isn't the guilt. The, yeah. That isn't the guilt that the House Ethics Committee is charged with determining, right? They're, it's not criminal. Yeah, this is, I'm all for the process, as, as you're saying, counter, playing out before we throw them out. But they're... There is an ethics committee. You know far better than I what its charter is. But yeah. if this doesn't violate the House ethics rules, then I'm surprised. This this guy, Tanner, you spent 15 years of your life like dedicating every fiber in your being professionally to the betterment of the House of Representatives. Yeah. And we know all know you well enough to know that you care deeply about the house on an institutional level and this guy is making a mockery of that and that pisses me off he completely and totally is there's no doubt about it uh however we have rules and processes in place to deal with this kind of scenario we need right. to let those things play out unless you want to get political about it which as i've explained the republicans are not going to do at this point this is why yeah, you have mccarthy in the, in the speaker's chair yeah right. no question there, yeah. No, there's a practical reality i just think it's a sad reality it is. And like the, you would, I, I wish the remedy was something different. It's like, I, like I think most people of goodwill, like to, just as a Democrat, I'm not thinking about the opportunity of a special election. I wish like the Republican state party chair could just appoint a Republican to replace him to get him out. Like that's, like I don't care about the seat. I just don't think you should have people like that in Congress. Like it's, well, and it's, I believe the Republican state party chair is also one that's called for him to. Yeah, totally. I mean, but I'm so just saying really, like, I don't, yeah. I don't see stuff like this as an opportunity. I know the D triple C and whoever else probably do, but well, it'll be interesting to, to watch. It'll as, sort itself out. As John McCain famously said about 15 years ago, Congress's popularity is down to blood relatives and staff at this point. And it's been that way for a couple decades. And so, you know, at this point, I don't know, maybe I'm giving up on con congressional popularity returning. Any, Frankly, there's there's a couple more people on uh, our side of the aisle that I'd rather see go than yeah. this. I mean, for, for different reasons than this crazy guy. But you can't you can't lose you can't lose the faith. Like you can't, Towner, you can't. And I know you don't. So I know you don't mean that. I, but you can't. You can't. I, I think it's like trying to convince 
the public that the NFL is a good thing, not their individual football team. I've used this analogy before. Congress is never going to be popular ever anymore because we all know too much. There's too much social media. There's too much opinion. Congress, the entity, the blob that is Congress will never be popular. As long as members of Congress are generally favorable in their districts, I like that. It's not about popularity. It's about trust. Well, it's also about participation. My greatest concern with the degradation of the institution is that people stop voting, not that they vote one way or another, but that they just stop participating. And and then we're really nowhere. We have, I'm going back on my Australia soapbox here. We should have mandatory voting for any government benefits to, to be received because our participation level is so low and is in part what, what continues to fuel the divide. If the yeah. only people who show up to vote are partisan, we're we're going to be stuck in this hole for a long time. Yeah. All right. Well, well, yeah. Arguably, Mark, the last two elections, we've seen pretty high voter participation. You know, relatively high. Close to 100 percent. Yeah. Well, no, relatively high for American democracy. But, but at the same time, trust has gone. It's been inverse. Yeah. yeah. This is Patrick, like, you get you get the last word on. On this topic, I get the last word. You, you did. You were going to say so. Oh yeah. Well, no. I was just going to say like we started it with kind of the premise of like he duped everyone, and and he did. But the kind of sad part too is like no one even cared enough to look. That's like the that's the weirdest part, and I think it goes to point Caitlin made about the vetting and everything. Like all the everyone's making excuses for how it happened. Like the Republicans are saying like, well, you know, we didn't like. Some of us knew, but then we didn't really say the DCCC is like it was too expensive, too expensive to call Goldman Sachs and City and just like see if he worked there. Like it just insane. it's no insane. one's taking yeah. responsibility. This was right under the surface. You didn't need millions of dollars of oppo research. So like no one cared enough to look. And it's just sad yeah. that that's like kind of where we're at. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, on to an, an impending issue, which is the debt ceiling and and countering again a lot of this is going to boil down to house rules so yeah you could talk about that but the us has already reached the debt ceiling and there are these temporary extraordinary measures the treasury can put in place to continue to borrow and kind of manage it for for some period of time but there is a there will be a date and it's unclear exactly what the date is but I think over the summer, where that can no longer be managed, and Congress needs to take action to raise the the debt ceiling to to enable the the government to continue to borrow um, or default because we use our debt to finance to pay interest on our existing debt, otherwise known as a Ponzi scheme, of course. But that's a whole different. <laughs> different discussion but towner what what do you see looking out at the fight over the debt ceiling sure well first of all i think this is by far the earliest is ever started in the public's view um we've gone through extraordinary measures you know 20 times in the last 30 years probably and and it's a normal course of business 
for the Treasury Department to hit the debt ceiling, start using extraordinary measures and be able to use those for six months or seven months. Nobody should ever be worried First of all, that uh, that you know the government isn't paying any bills right now or isn't paying into accounts because as soon as the debt ceiling is increased, all those things are made whole immediately that that are neglected during the extraordinary measures time period. I I did find it amusing that this is the first time I've ever really seen a whole batch of stories about extraordinary measures are being used. This is a this is a fairly regular occurrence. However, we just don't know when the debt ceiling breach is going to happen. It looks like right now it'll be sometime in June or maybe into July. has a lot to do with tax receipts. We're talking about, you think about your household income and expenditures at this point. As the money comes in, the money goes out. And uh, it look, we'll see how much money we get in with regard to taxes uh, around April 15th. And, and that will inform whether or not the debt ceiling extraordinary measures can be pushed out a little bit into July. Uh, August timeframe, or maybe even a little later, or whether it'll occur sort of closer to the beginning of June. But either way, Congress has to make a determination to raise the debt ceiling. Republicans, just to frame it, Republicans uh, are very insistent uh, that they have spending cuts on the mandatory spending side in exchange, dollar for dollar, for increases in the debt ceiling. Democrats, obviously do not want to do that. They want to increase the debt ceiling. They say, look, we've all agreed on the spending. Both parties have done the spending. You know, we shouldn't cut uh, important social safety net programs uh, to to then just do our fiscal uh, maintenance and, and raise the debt ceiling. And so there's a obviously a fight shaping up that's going to take place over the next five plus months at this point uh, where, you know, the two parties are going to battle it out. If we do breach a debt ceiling and we came really close uh, a few years ago, uh, that was the first time and only time the United States uh, credit rating has actually been downgraded uh, when we came very close to breaching that debt ceiling. Then we continue to operate on money in, money out. So you can look through and see when uh, the federal government on on a certain day every month makes Social Security payments, for example. That's going to be a big hit. Are we going to have enough in the accounts to do it? We have customs fees that come in at various times throughout the month. We have uh, quarterly business taxes that come in uh, to the federal coffers. And so you're literally you're looking at your own bank account without having a credit card and saying, I can only spend exactly the amount of dollars that I have in my account. And inevitably, because we we put ourselves in this hole over time, you are going to have more dollars that need to go out than are coming in. Yeah. All right. Hopefully that frame. Mark. So my question for Howard, uh, as well as Towner, is... We all know how this ends. Uh, there will be some day in the history of the world, in fact, we can be much more precise, sometime this summer, Congress is going to raise the debt limit. The question is, uh, how much pain and suffering does the economy and, and the country and the five of us on this screen, for that matter, how, how much pain and suffering between now and then? Knowing how it ends doesn't seem to be calming anybody. 
This has become very early in the year, in in large part because of the media coverage, as you point out, Towner. This is becoming an hysterical situation, even though at the end of some day, we we know it's going to be okay. Yeah. Well, the... I think Tower's point, they're starting conversations early, right? Speaker McCarthy reached out to try to begin conversations with the White House this week and let them, you know, the White House at first was was sort of pushing back saying, we're not going to be held hostage over this. But now it looks like they are working to schedule a meeting and they should have these conversations over the next few months. It's it's a fair and valid place to be. And I, I think I'm seeing a little bit of, of positivity in the fact that we're starting to have these conversations early. Yeah, it's ultimately a question. I think the reason this is bubbling up earlier, though, is because of what we've, we've just been through around the speakership. Right. I mean, and the, and the thin majority and the fact that arguably, that McCarthy's, inarguably, he has a difficult caucus to control on this issue, and he's trying to balance his own personal interests with those of the policy behind this, because at the end of the day, there will be a majority of the House. There is a majority of the House that supports raising the debt ceiling. There's no question. It's just a matter of how he gets there and preserves his speakership. Yeah, and I would say for conservatives, too, this is a situation where they looked at you know, over time, they've looked at Clinton post midterm election. They looked at Obama post midterm election. And in both cases, Clinton and Obama, Presidents Clinton and Obama uh, agreed with Republicans to a series of pretty significant mandatory spending losses. This Now, it happened to be after uh, what both Clinton and Obama described as uh, historic losses or shellacking or whatever in a midterm election. And they felt like they had to go to the table and and negotiate with Republicans over spending de- uh, mandatory spending cuts in exchange for a debt ceiling increase. President Biden is in a completely different political position at this point. And and he believes it and his people believe it and congressional Democrats believe it. And he's also so a different person, too. He's yeah. not a, no offense to Presidents Clinton or Obama, but he's not a first term president in his 40s who is dealing with a major negotiation like this for the first time. He's been doing this for 40 years, you know, 50 years, whatever, however many years. You're exactly right. So both sides are are pretty dug in to begin with on this. On the one hand, McCarthy can't back down early because we have a one one vote motion to vacate. And this is this is why there's a motion to vacate that was put back in by the Freedom Caucus, because if he folds on debt ceiling, we're going to kick his butt out of the speaker's chair in 10 seconds. And on the other side, Democrats are saying we're not going to be held hostage. We we have political authority here, and it's the wise and moral and right thing to do to increase the debt ceiling and not put the country through an economic stressor uh, after we've been through many others. On, on how does the motion to vacate work? Because yeah, you know, and everybody keeps tossing this around, but how does it actually work? Yeah, uh, one member of Congress now can rise and move to vacate the chair does it uh, involve a water balloon i did can you do you just go up to them and the water balloon right at their face well if you hit the target they drop from the speaker's chair into a tank of water (laughs) perfect uh, but yeah, no, it's just no, you literally move to vacate the chair and okay. there's a period of a very short general debate and then you have a vote and it's a majority vote. And so you already start with the understanding that like, hey, if if 212 Democrats 
want to get rid of McCarthy, they start with 212. So you have a f- five seats, five votes uh, makes the chair vacated. And then you start all over again. What we went through the first week of January, you just stop everything in the House of Representatives. You don't invalidate committees or get rid of bills or anything like yeah. that. But now it's we got to elect a speaker again. I guess I have a hard time believing that the Democrats would actually support I'll that. Stick together. Yeah. Well, Knowing that it's mean? probably be going to be. Su- I-, I agree with you, Howard. I don't think this is like not them not wanting to help McCarthy attain the speakership, but I could see a couple folks peel off to vote against. No. No way. On a, on no a motion way. to vacate, they're uh, no vote to they're not going to make they, <laughs> democrats are not going to make any of this easy on the republicans just to be nice they won't they won't they're all they will vote the, as a block. institution they are what gonna are they force, they're going to force the republicans to keep him in and then watch the chaos ensue if they can't i mean that's it's not their job to help the republicans keep mccarthy in because he's like the best option that's just not going to happen no and am I overstating well, no. it or not? I think you're exactly right, Patrick. And there's also the possibility always that you can, if conservatives pull the motion to vacate, Democrats are looking at it saying, all we need is five Republican moderates to have uh, Hakeem Jeffries the Speaker of the House. And if they go down this crazy route, maybe we get those five moderates during a Speaker vote. Look, that just puts us back where we were two weeks ago, effectively. Yeah, looking yeah. like which nuts, and Democrats think that's their political advantage. Absolutely. Yeah, I hear you. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know that. Yeah. It's worth the that the Democrats conclude that the juice is worth that squeeze, but maybe you're right. You're because part right. of it is not any the chaos too. It's also it's a time thing. Like every day that the house is just caught up in this leadership motion to vacate chaos, that's another day that they're not investigating. The committees aren't working. So like they're, they're, they're like fine with the Republicans wasting as much of their time in the majority as possible. I feel another, I feel another bet coming on Mark. I feel, I feel (laughs) like some deep dish Chicago pizza. I will take this bet for sure. Versus Maryland crab cake bet coming on. <laughs> now is this a think? debit a debit card wager or a house money? Yeah, it's debit a, it's, a it's a Michael Heller green card waiver. Yeah, yeah. Although yeah. there's no question that Michael Heller does not have a green card. I mean, is there any question about that? No. I, I would hope not. I'd be embarrassed. Card. Yeah, I'd be embarrassed for him. Um, there's, there's a few ways out of this mess and obviously oh, powder don't take us back to substance <laughs> talking about Sorry. food now <laughs> now go what's ahead the go bet, ahead. guys what's the bet go there's ahead ways, there's a few ways out of this mess and and you know there's there's the capability for the dis, this discharge petition that everybody started hearing about um but it's really a process that has to start early uh in the in the in the construct and so to move a, a discharge petition, to discharge a committee uh, from consideration of a bill, for example, to increase the debt ceiling, you have to go through a series of time clocks that are based on legislative days. And in total, I won't bore everybody with the specifics of it, but in total, you have essentially 40 legislative days between when you introduce a bill to raise the debt ceiling, either to a date certain or dollar amount certain, and when you actually vote on it in the House of Representatives. And that is 
that's ultimately it's a process that has to start in the next couple of weeks. I just want to point out that when you said you won't bore anybody, Caitlin, Patrick, and I all took our hands off of our chins. So I don't know, Towner. I do love that. That part, I didn't know that though. How uh, uh, Towner told us that like a week or so ago, and that is really interesting. So you're trying to negotiate and then you start telegraphing that you're going to fold like a couple months before that. I mean, that is like really interesting. Well, and this is where we get into the factions of the Republican Party. I think the moderates are going to be very willing to introduce a a discharge petition, but it's going to sit out there for the next three and a half to four months as sort of a threat behind McCarthy's negotiations, theoretically, with President Biden. And it it could upend, you know, Republican efforts on those negotiations. And I think everybody's trying to figure that out right now. Look, Mark, to your question on like how it all ties together, I think ultimately this does create some market uncertainty. The markets hate uncertainty. And I think I said this last week, the markets ultimately drive people to a result. It could be very messy along the way. But, you know, Chip Roy or whoever, they're not going to they're not going to stand there with the, you know, with the markets tanking and just say, well, you know, this is going to go the way I want it to go. I'm going to hold the I'm going to hold the economy hostage. Um, it You know, it, but it could be very ugly could be very ugly. Meanwhile, the economy continues to chug along. Inflation's coming down. I mean, there's really no, there's really no connection between the, what's happening in the economy and this discussion on the debt ceiling. But there is going to be. (laughs) There could be, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. But we shall see. All right, Mark, good luck to your green team. Appreciate that. Looking forward to tomorrow night. We'll we'll place a Nantucket bet offline, Howard. We don't need to to burden our listeners with that. Notice how he didn't wish me luck in return. No, not at all. This is no, the Philly way. You've had you've had go. What do we say? Roll Tide or that's whatever. Because, that's because <laughs> this is how many Super Bowls the Giants have won, and this is how many Super Bowls the Eagles have won. And fortunately, our listeners can't see. am i wrong what do you dc people do sell your team when our two (laughs) least favorite cities are fighting against each other i mean it's we don't even have an enemy of the enemy is my friend sort of thing sell your team i root for the eagles i'm a cousin o'connor loyalist here oh my god caitlin caitlin thank you (laughs) the one time i chime in on sports I forgive, I forgive the Fetterman debt. We're even. Oh, great. We're even. Towner, I mean, <laughs> the Eagles fans are far worse than Giants fans. Come on. Well, unquestionably, that is yeah. correct. And, I, and I don't proud, have a jail. proud of it. We don't proud have a jail it. under MetLife. Okay. <laughs> that about sums it up. I, I just right. don't think there's any angels here. Uh, you know, fair enough. <laughs> All right, have a guys. Good weekend, guys. One as always, have a good weekend. Enjoy the games, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, Thanks. everybody. You've been listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. 
please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.